0: The following sermon was delivered by Senior Pastor Rev. Dr. Scott Black Johnston in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday, in person or on livestream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here is Rev. Dr. Scott Black Johnston. So yes, Happy Father's Day. I even got told Happy Father's Day by the dog this morning. <laughs> As many of you know, I have a tradition. Every year before I depart for study leave, I write a sermon entitled, The View From Here. This practice has its roots in an invitation that Joyce Hansen issued on my very first visit to this beloved church. She said, Scott, we're standing down there. Scott, why don't you stand up in the pulpit? And I did. In the Atlanta church that I served at that time, the windows at the back of the sanctuary looked out on beautiful tall pine trees. So standing here, I was surprised to discover that this chancel puts a bustling city street smack in the center of the preacher's view. And so my very first comment from Fifth Avenue's pulpit was the profound theological observation, hey, you can see the Disney store from here. <laughs> now Mickey, Goofy, and Donald have long since departed. Ralph Lauren was our neighbor over there for a time, and then for years the, the store sh- stood empty. Now it's opera, operated by Mango, a Spanish clothing purveyor. The cityscape outside of our front doors is constantly changing. And I've come to find that exhilarating. To stand here is to see movement, hot dog carts, taxis, police cars wheel by, parades and protests march by, Busy people, dejected people, curious people, skeptical people, all sorts of people walk by. Looking out those clear glass doors over the last fifteen years has given me a heart for New York. I I love these those busy people, those skeptical people, those sometimes grumpy, sometimes anxious people out there. Every interaction with them confirms my belief in the critical role that this church has to play in the midst of Gotham City's churn. The faith we practice here offers hopeful perspectives and, and sometimes toss you a life preserver help to those who paddle amidst the swirling tides. Through good times and bad, this church stands as a place where diverse passers-by and online worshipers can find healing for their souls and a map for their journey. That is, after all, why we are here. Every week we step back from the craziness of work and the drama of life to enter this house, God's house, every week carrying all sorts of burdens on our shoulders. We enter this sacred space in person and online to sing and pray and ask What does the world look like? What what do our lives look like? What is the news that we get, the view that we have from here, right now? This morning, these questions will take, as their conversation partner, one of my favorite passages in Scripture from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5 beginning with the 16th verse. Listen now for God's word to you. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to God's self through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making this appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So typically, in this annual sermon, I take a stab at trying to describe the world, at giving a name to what we see when we peer out those clear glass doors back there. An academic might say the preacher is trying to talk about the zeitgeist. (laughs) Do you know that term? Zeitgeist is is one of those wonderful evocative two-part German words. It welds Zeit, the German word for time, to Geist, the German word for spirit or ghost. The zeitgeist is the spirit of the age. It's the moral and cultural climate that we inhabit. It's a description of invisible forces that are especially active pulling and pushing on us at a certain moment in history. How shall we describe our zeitgeist? To answer, I'd like us to consider this morning three related questions. And I suspect that each of these questions is going to sound somewhat familiar to you. They are voiced all the time in politics, in popular culture, and in the church. They are the oft-repeated refrains of our age. So that's our project this morning, my friends three culturally related questions, a quick story, and then we'll call it a wrap. Zeitgeist question number one. Is this a catastrophe? Let's start with an obvious but also important characteristic of the contemporary Zeitgeist. This is an anxious moment. let's assign blame for our anxiety, the pandemic. The pandemic was and is the single biggest contributor to people's ongoing sense of apprehension. A deadly global health crisis will do that. It's set the planet's teeth on edge. At the same time, in many ways, America was already heading there. To the edge. Political rancor, culture war battles, heated moral debates about race and gender, immigration policies and climate change, education and economic opportunity already had us divided, fighting, angry with each other. The pandemic, though, it pushed us to the brink of civility. It took corporate anxiety to 11. COVID had us worried that the fabric of society could tear beyond our ability to repair. A catastrophe was upon us. Did you know that gun sales skyrocketed in this country during the pandemic? According to the University of Chicago, 60 million new guns were purchased in the United States between 2020 and 2022, more than double the firearm purchases during any other similar period in American history. Fearing that we were on the verge of an actual zombie apocalypse, we bought guns. And many of those guns ended up being used, not, of course, to fight zombies. In 2020, the National Institute of Health charted a 28% uptick in deaths from firearms in this country. Most of these deaths were either self-inflicted, tragic accidents, or acts of violence amongst family members. Mixing guns with heightened anxiety proved to be a terribly unhealthy combo for our society. And and that's not the only way in which COVID messed with our cultural chemistry. Residual anxiety has put our heads on a swivel. Where and when, we wonder, will the next calamity befall us? Disaster, after all, can take so many different forms. Updates from the war in Ukraine regularly include nuclear saber rattling from Russia. We shake our heads. Are are we on the road to catastrophe? Wildfire smoke engulfs New York City, shrouding things in an acrid orange haze, bringing fears about the damaged environment to the fore. Is our planet on the verge of catastrophe? These existential questions raise their heads in very personal ways, too. We peer at medical test results. We quietly ask the person in the mirror, is this my catastrophe? My wife is a school nurse. In the last year, she has witnessed an overall uptick in parental anxiety, and not simply in relationship to COVID, but about all manner of potential ailments and threats. We may be post-pandemic, but we still bear its scars. We're an easily spooked people right now. We worry that we're facing not simply bad news, but the worst news, the end of us, the end of everything news. In this season, our tendency to catastrophize, to to imagine the worst, presents a tricky challenge for the church. More and more people on the left and on the right clamor for preachers and for congregations to take stands that mirror their own passionate concerns. Don't be irrelevant, church. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't duck the hard stuff. Many point when saying these things with deep concern to the collective shrug issued by German churches in 1932. Where were the German Christians when National socialism seized the reins of power and took the world down a very dark path. Surely our tradition will not make that mistake again. Surely we will stand up to bullies and tyrants. We will confront national movements and public policies that subvert the good. Yes, yes, that's right. We must pursue the good, and yet, That's also the rub. In the scrum of today's toxic political discourse, it's hard to find civil and serious debate about the common good. Fact-finding is disparaged. Dialogue feels dangerous. Compromise is viewed as betrayal. Demagoguery reigns supreme. My friends, it's just plain Exhausting to try and answer Zeitgeist question number one. Is this a catastrophe? Every day, multiple times a day, the world sprays us with a fire hose of grim news, and then we must decide. Is the latest batch of unsavory stories somebody else's problem? Or or is that concern of such grave importance that I and my faith community and all of society must press for a solution? When can I shrug? And when must I pick up my sword and shield? When and how shall we respond? How can I make faithful decisions about all the issues clamoring for my passion, my time, my resources. Contemplating these issues brings us to the doorstep of our second cultural question, a question that lurks behind every conflict in the contemporary world. Zeitgeist question number two, what Are the rules? How do we know what counts as a catastrophe? How can we problem-solve as a neighborhood, as a school, as a nation, as a church? What are the rules? In this divisive season, what are the rules for engagement, the rules for conversation, the rules for relationships, the rules governing truth-telling, the rules telling us what is and is not important and what does or does not cross the line. Many fear that our society no longer has a common set of ethical rules. And this fact causes us no end Of confusion and consternation. In a recent article in the New York Times, cultural critic Sam Anderson writes that our national pastime has become litigating the rules at high volume. The panics over cancel culture and the woke mob, these are symptoms of a fragmented society wondering if, in a time of flux, it still meaningfully shares social rules. Every time we wander out into the public square, we risk ending up screaming or being screamed at red-faced in tears. Do You see where I'm going with this? We worry, zeitgeist question number one, about looming catastrophes. And yet we cannot agree on the rules that will allow us to diagnose these issues, much less chart a path toward solutions. We're in a terrible pickle. And just in case you think that we might be on the verge of a breakthrough, let me remind you that next year we can look forward to a presidential election. (laughs) I'm sure that will make everything clearer, more hopeful, less conflicted. (laughs) Not. (laughs) Still, my friends, I do not think, I do not believe we should despair. There is good news embedded in this cultural moment. Question number one, is this a catastrophe And question number two, what are the rules, inevitably lead us as people of faith to question number three. Zeitgeist question number three goes like this. Where is the Geist in this Zeit? Where is God's spirit in this time? What is the Holy One doing right now? When deadly powers look victorious, people of faith know it's time to pay attention. We lean in at moments like this because we know that the spirit in which we live and move and have our being is forever sending rays of light shining through the gloom. Where is the Geist in the midst of this Zeit? I want to close today by describing signs of hope. Because, family of faith, I think God's spirit is busy right now, really busy. In a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, Claire Ansbury unpacks a 2023 So very recent survey of young adults in this country. And this survey revealed, to many people's surprise, a significant uptick in belief in God. The percentage of 18 to 25-year-olds in this country who believe in a higher power has increased by 10% over the last three years. And this fact is borne out by our own congregation's demographics. The fastest growing subset of this church is sitting right over there. It's it's 20 and 30-somethings. What accounts for this surge in belief? Well, many psychologists and sociologists point to the pandemic. Uncertainty and anxiety, they say, have led people to seek the comfort and assurances of faith. And this is not a bad answer, but it's not, I believe, a complete answer. At this uncertain moment, young people and all people really are looking for rules and principles, stories, and songs that can help them navigate this morally complicated and often vicious world. In other words, I think every sentient soul out there craves an alternative to America's seesawing, highly politicized, take-no-prisoners culture war. Why do I say this? Well, my evidence comes in part from today's most watched television shows and most acclaimed movies. I think aspects of popular culture are actually tapping into a deeply spiritual longing right now. Take, for example, Ted Lasso one of today's most-watched and most-streamed television programs. Lasso just finished its third and final season. If you haven't seen it, the show revolves around a title character who is continually lifting up classic old-school virtues, like belief and forgiveness. This month, when asked about the gentle spirit that that undergirds the show, Jason Sudeikis, producer and lead actor, replied, I'm trying to be the change that I want to see. Or consider a movie that basically swept this year's Academy Awards. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's a wild film full of surreal images with twisty, violent, not-for-children scenes that focus on the fractured relationship between a woman, Evelyn Wang, and her adult daughter, Joy. On this Father's Day, though, I want to focus on the dad in the movie, Waymond Wang. From the get-go, Wayman comes off as a soft and ineffectual person amidst the world's chaos and conflict. He's dismissed by his own family for being too sweet, foolishly gentle. That is, until the final act, when Wayman gets to deliver the best speech in the film. In this poignant scene, Wayman stands in the middle of a massive fight that has paused. People are actually frozen in in place while he explains his approach to life. Attitudes that many perceive to be weak. And this is what Wayman says. You tell me it's a cruel world and we're all just running around in circles. I know that. I know you're all fighting because you're scared and confused. I'm confused too. When I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being naive. It's strategic and necessary. Sometimes I don't even know what's going on. The only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. I know you see yourself as a fighter. Well, I see myself as a fighter, too. This is how I fight. Is being kind a legit way of fighting? A way of resisting? A way to push back? against a nasty and violent world. Questions like that ought to bring a smile to the faces of the faithful. Yes, there are those who criticize the church for not fighting hard enough in this fractious cultural moment, but my friends, that's not the perspective that we get from here. We know that this world mistakes gentleness for weakness. And to paraphrase the Apostle Paul, we vow not to do the same. Regard no one, Paul wrote, from a human point of view. Look at the world as Christ looks at the world. When we see as Christ sees, we engage. We fight as hard as we can in the only way that we can, in a manner modeled by one who was crucified for extending love to the vulnerable and the forgotten. What is the Geist in this Zeit? It is, I believe, the spirit of Christ. This past week, a place at the table, our out-on-the-street ministry that provides hot meals, conversation, and social work assistance to thousands of people every year, turned three years old. On Wednesday, volunteers and staff served 119 people a meal. It was a convivial scene out there. Many of those in line chatted with their neighbors. I saw people pet well-behaved dogs. I saw them extend kindness to at least two refugee families, people with very young children in strollers. Rodrigo Rosales, who prepares the meals, and I watched the line as it snaked all the way along 55th Street and turned the corner out onto Fifth Avenue. Rodrigo observed that we were looking at a simultaneously sobering and joyful sight. There's so much human need in this city, he said, and I'm so proud, Rodrigo continued, that this church addresses it in such a direct and loving manner. My friends, Looking at those doors is not for the faint of heart. Our task in this tumultuous time, to paraphrase Ted Lasso, is neither to hit the panic button nor to hit the snooze button. It is to gently and actively and creatively engage to redress wrongs, to bind up wounds, and to build bridges. God has given us, all of us, says the Apostle Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. This, my friends, is our sacred calling. As we sing and pray, as we study and serve, as we look out those clear glass doors back there, That is the view that we get from here. Here now, the benediction. Christ, says the Apostle Paul, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, go forth from this place into the world that God loves, having courage, holding fast to what is good, Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and given you a measure of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you would like to make a donation to support this audio ministry, please visit fapc.org slash give. Thank you and blessings to you on this day.